Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. Kevo. And this is ForceLegacy.html. Woo! Okay, so IRL, best episodes we've done so far, and I can't wait to jump in. And we are finally, finally, finally at a point where this watch order is going to become infinitely less confusing. I am so happy. And the material we're going to discuss today, in a lot of ways, felt a bit like a repiloting. I feel as though Star Wars The Clone Wars listened to its critics and said, how can we adjust and move forward as a stronger, better show? And, you know, in a perfect world, they probably would have retitled it, but Star Wars is very rarely looking to admit defeat or failure in any significant way, so it would be pretty out of character. That is for dang sure. Today we will be discussing from the StarWars.com chronological watch list for the Clone Wars series, entries 53 through 58, starting with Season 3, Episode 10, Heroes on Both Sides, directed by veteran Kyle Dunleavy, and written by Daniel Arkin, who um, isn't unbelievably prolific, but has worked as a writer on Alias and The X-Files and Suits going on to co-create the spinoff series Pearson. I also think it's hysterical that the episode title for this episode is written incorrectly on this StarWars.com list that I have been using. It's specifically written as Heroes on Both Side, not Sides, and that has led to some confusion in my research, which was very vexing. It's interesting to hear that the writer of this episode is specifically known more for writing like big people things. Yeah, right? I thought that hearing you say that he is a writer of big people things really checks in with the fact that I thought a lot of the Senate stuff in this episode was kind of like a little sloggy. I'm also continually questioning why they have to go back and do these prequels. What caused them to make this choice? This two-part story that leads into the season two episode Senate Murders, they only came like eight months after the episode Senate Murders aired. One of the things that I think I find most frustrating about the order they put this list in is I would probably have shifted things a little bit differently. I would have moved the season three episodes to before Senate Murders instead. By moving Senate Murders backwards, it made it feel like there was going to be more significance to the story, and there was, but I don't know, perhaps not as much significance as waiting made it seem like there would be. And that's kind of the thing about Star Wars. I understand that, like, the magic of Star Wars is, like, yeah, they made a decade out of prequel, but just tell me a fucking linear narrative. I was excited to see Mon Mothma. I was not happy to see the fish people. What are their names? Fishy Trade Trade? Oh, the Nemoidians? The uh, guys from Phantom Menace? Yeah, yeah. And then Lord Farquaad from Shrek kind of just waltzed in, and that was a little weird. A lot of stuff about this episode was kind of weird to me. I think part of its introduction was both to give us a significant death of a character that we could just introduce very suddenly with Mina Bonteri and introducing a character that we will end up seeing later in the series through her son Lux. And, you know, there was so much like, okay, so I like Mina. 
She was very Judy Dench, and I loved that Ahsoka got to be part of this. I was blown away by how much of this was Padme, but I think the thing that took me the most by surprise is, oh my god, the Separatists have a floor. Like, the Separatists are treated as these chaos-loving monster murder heathens, and everything the Separatists do is to destroy and kill, but like, no, they have a parliament. Something this episode and this little arc did that I think was really necessary and part of why I would have liked it sooner rather than having to wait so long is that it did shed further narrative light on what the Separatists are and what they're fighting for, but it's a little bit muddled. Because here's the thing, while Separatists as a whole have broad points, it's really hard to take Mina seriously when she so vehemently defends Count Dooku, who we know is unquestionably evil and has tried to murder babies. And when Anakin ends up doing that, he is also evil. So I'm not like, you know, saying any- qualified. Yeah, no, like, yes, baby murderers are bad. We're not there yet in Anakin's timeline, and he does eventually come back to the light side. As far as we know, Count Dooku is just pretty much all dark side all the time, and he's completely fleecing this character. So it really removes a lot of her power and her agency to know that she is being snowed. I've so very rarely enjoy stories where that's the case, and it's kind of impacted further by the scene later on with Padme and Palpatine. We know he's literally playing both sides of this. She's barely surviving by force luck, I don't know, and he's so evil, and it's so creepy, I don't know. I think between that and the power farm factory vibe of Coruscant, it all had some very apocalyptic vibe. I'm once again impressed that they keep coming up with ways to surprise me in these stories. I thought that battle droids dressed up as cleaning droids was a really clever gambit. It raised droid questions for me the way that it always does with the way that a clone trooper saw them getting lost and was like, silly droids. It, as always, raises questions in my mind of how autonomous droids are. Your programming shouldn't have you accidentally go off in the wrong direction and that should be a little bit more suspicious? I don't know. And then for them to later call this a droid suicide bombing, is that a thing? You know, I had written down it's droid terrorism, and it's really funny because we haven't talked about the biggest point of this episode. We're so busy talking about cute little things like Bale showing up, which really reinforces why he would get Leia. But this is all about deregulating the banks so that the Republic can buy more clones, but that's going to ultimately lead to more droids. Because if the banks are deregulated, the banks are also going to give more money to the separatists because what the fuck would they care? Which again leads into more of the it's giving us answers about why this war would drag out and the politics and it's really important story and plot points so I'm glad that they're making sure to take the time for them. I thought it was really interesting that there was a Kaminoan who was like involved in the buying and selling of clones like no you should not be on the senate floor and I was glad that we got a little bit more on that or maybe we watched it out of order in a weird way but it was weird to me that, you know, she's literally manufacturing the clones. I would not let her on the Senate floor during a vote about clones. Yeah, we're introduced to a character from our perspective in Season 3, Episode 11, Pursuit of Peace, which was also written by Daniel Arkin and directed by Dwayne Dunham, who is a film editor who worked on the entire original trilogy, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and is a frequent collaborator with David Lynch, including a few episodes of the original 
original Twin Peaks, as well as editing the entire return and having won an Emmy for outstanding single camera picture editing for the original Twin Peaks. I only wish he had directed David Lynch talks about the weather. Right? And if he had, I would have written it down. But so we are, from our perspective, even though she was introduced in season two, introduced to this Kaminoan, I guess she's a senator? I don't know, but she's fucking fierce as balls in this episode. She is the most intense Kaminoan I think we have ever met in the entire franchise so far. She's a lot. But like, she winds up losing some of her teeth, but anyway, we're gonna get to that. Uh, Padme, when they're like, oh, Padme's a traitor because she doesn't want war. Isn't the goal, like, okay, war isn't the goal of seeking power. Peace is the goal of their seeking power. So how is she the traitor for wanting to stop war? And then, you know, Dooku pops up on the vid screen and he's all like, ah, after 10,000 years, I am here to attack the Jedi Rangers. And it's just like, I don't know. (sighs) There was a lot of interesting Padme stuff and I was really glad to see that a lot of it was on her own. Normally, if she has a focus episode, she's paired with someone and this was a lot about Padme coming into her own and finding herself. I think the scene where she stole a speeder and got stopped by the cops is so TMZ and hilarious. It reminded me a lot of the episode where Queen Saltine of the Obi-Wan sass Mm. was cornered and was like, no, 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 cops, I'm a princess. And they were like, then prove it. And she showed that she had one of the princess of the heart keyblades and stuff. In an episode with Padme, I remember that one, yeah. I also, as you mentioned earlier, love scenes between Padme and Bail, and this one especially had some great moments. Watching her plead with Bail Organa makes me think about how much his daughter is going to remind him of this woman, and you know, Padme is a great character. I wish that she had been given more in her narrative, and for that reason, at least, I appreciate this prequel being inserted so that we could get more of her character. I think what makes me sad is that we live in an age where we're constantly finding out queens were erased from history and I feel like Padme is erased from her own narrative so frequently. She's such an entry in this whole story and I personally found like this whole thing week to week would have been a huge bummer. I would have been really bored. Before we get into the episode that these two served as a prequel to, there was something very interesting at the end of these. The scene with Palpatine and his little henchmen where even though they aren't saying anything too explicit. It is probably the most overt we have ever seen Palpatine as Palpatine himself referring to these events and his plans. And I was very surprised, but pleased. It's the thing I keep saying that I wish we could get more of. I understand that, you know, the people who are watching this aren't stupid and we all know that Palpatine is the Emperor, but that doesn't mean that you need to keep it so buried from the main narrative it doesn't make it more of a mystery you know like who are you hiding it from if we all know and before even that though i want to talk about maybe the thing i liked the least about this watch group we did so there's tecla and she's all like yeah life's real hard for me and padme's like tell me more about your poverty pornography and basically padme is like 
Tekla is Christmas shoes so that Senate may learn. It is using someone of the lower class as a prop, basically. And, you know, I understand that Padme has a good heart, but that doesn't make it a better idea to, you know? Uh -uh. I was also taken aback, having not watched this in airing order, by the sudden, from my perspective, murder of Uncle Onaconda after he had been in the two prequel episodes. I didn't realize he was going to die. Uncle Onaconda was there for you, and his wife owned an apartment complex, and their son, Ona Vespa. So now we're going backwards, unfortunately, for entry number 55 to season two, episode 15, Senate Murders, which, oops, turns out this is the series wrap on Drew Z. Greenberg, my bae, and was directed by veteran Brian Kalen O'Connell. So one of the senators in this is named Stonk, which is a terrible name. So that's one thing. Stonk! Also, Senator Dietschy clearly wants to suck her force blood. He is, like, straight up a vampire, but also, like, he works at the Olive Garden on the weekends. Yes! I don't understand what caused that character design, especially, like, why do some people feel the need to go so on the nose with characters who are of questionable morality, you know? What kind of noise is that for a baby to make? Also, old Kaminoan Hillary Burton in this episode, like, she goes from, like, Electra to, like, Jedi always leave. And, I don't know, she's just really different than the last episode. And, oh no, Anaconda don't get none unless you dead now, hon. I mean, I just didn't see that coming just because, you know, he's kind of a weak character, but I guess that's, that makes him more dispensable. I don't understand the character of Inspector D. First of all, the name. Second of all, that mug. Third of all, just everything about his hammy performance. I wrote down the line, there's no time for time, which I'm pretty sure is a line from him, just because it was so fucking ridiculous. I-, I I don't know whose idea it was to have this random Poirot character appear and then never be important again. He's sort of a mix between Abismal from Aladdin and King George from Hamilton, all wrapped up in, like, Peter Lorre. Yes. And no one's ever needed that. No. I do hate the horrible, awful, misshapen little nightmare monkey, and it is really horrible that poor Amidala's uncle is murdered, and she doesn't seem to get to be sad. Everything is so, sort of, like, slappy, punchy intensity. I do enjoy that the investigation is boring in a way that makes Amidala realizing that her buddy was the bad guy, and then she just, like, punches the gun out of her hand and it's like, now! Like, that whole climax was awesome. Yeah, Padme punched Lolo like a punk. It's also even weirder to get to the end of Senate Murders and see that the banks were deregulated and be like, fuck, we watched those two prequel episodes. They inserted all of that narrative. And no, it just turns out that didn't work anyway. Well, shit. And isn't that just a perfect metaphor for slogging all the way through the prequels in the first place? We continue on this narrative of Secrets Revealed with a three-part arc that gives us backstory into Asajj Ventress for the first time with three episodes written by Katie Lucas. The first is directed by Giancarlo Vope, season three, episode 12, Night Sisters. It immediately starts on a pretty cool note with Ventress's little fin ship. I liked that. The animation on this episode from right off the bat is better than anything that came before it. And so much of the intensity of what's happening quickly 
quickly is is wild. Palpy is all like, get rid of Ventress, and Dooku's like, eh, and Palpy's like, no, 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 do it. And then Dooku's like, no, nah, it's fine. And so then he's like, yo, get rid of Ventress. And everybody's like, you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And then Ventress is like, ah, I'm gotten rid of. And then some old ladies are like, I'm gonna fill you with smoke. And I love the juxtaposition between Ventress being betrayed by her own master with Anakin rushing over to save his master, especially knowing where Anakin's journey is going to end up, that he is still at this point the better of the two. We got some interesting backstory on Asajj Ventress and how she was, I don't know, given up for adoption into slavery and then her slavers were killed and she was found by this Jedi who it turns out had like been basically shipwrecked on this planet and raised Asajj Ventress as a Jedi for 10 years before he was murdered and that made her go crazy and turn to the dark side. What? Most of that, by the way, is backstory that's filled in by the Asajj Ventress spin-off novel Dark Disciple. We just see that there's some Jedi who saves her from slavery and raises her without any answers as to how and why. Well, and one of the things that kind of blew my mind was it was Sith versus Sith in a way that we don't usually get on this show. Like, we're all about Sith versus Jedi and clones versus droids. Getting some, like, Sith on Sith action was really interesting. So the, so the Night Monkey ladies send Ventress along with some other ninja ladies to go fight Dooku. And this takes place in Dooku's Gargoyles Watchtower. And then it's just, it's crazy because like, you just don't really get Sith versus Sith on this show a lot. And I really enjoyed that. I see your Gargoyles clock tower and I raise you a Batman villain lair. This giant glowing green window that he has is just very 1990s Batman. Force magic, shadow magic, whatever the hell it is, uh, that was a new one. But I mean, I'm always saying that I love new and interesting ways that we are shown the Force can be used. And I feel like what Mother Talzin offers is very new. Absolutely. And you know, I'd been wondering toward the end of the fight how Dooku was going to defend himself before he did bust out that Force lightning. And I think it's it's used so sparingly so far in the Clone Wars that it still has a lot of gravity to it, and I appreciate that. This episode ends with Talzin just giving Dooku a call and saying, Hey, do you need an apprentice? Hey, Since you could not tame a female, maybe we'll give you a male. Which is weird, because then, literally in the next episode, they say men are easier to acquire and hard to control. Season 3, episode 13, Monster, was directed by Kyle Dunleavy, and it's a really weird long audition episode. Basically, it's a chorus night, sister. Time is getting closer. It's pretty. I mean, I'm I I I think Savage is the is the dumbest thing in Star Wars so. Yeah, as soon as they started saying names like Savage Opress and Feral, I, I guess they were trying to account for the name Darth Maul, but you really didn't need to. You really really didn't need to. I liked a lot of the magic and I 
want the enchanted blade. But like, so then Savage kills Feral. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I love me a good muscle transformation. Yummy. But Dooku is a little too gay for muscles. Oh, he is so horny for his new spiky boy. And they've known each other for like two minutes. And he's already saying stuff like we will be even more powerful than Lord Sidious. Like, you need to relax. I understand you can't wait to take him to the Poconos, but you need to get your lightsaber under control. You're in public. I found a lot of the stuff with Savage kind of confusing, though, because, like, were all the Night Brothers Force-sensitive? Was she trying to find one that was Force-sensitive? Because, like, that's the thing. Dooku needs an apprentice who is Force-sensitive. Are all the Night Brothers? I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really lost the narrative at a certain point, especially because then it immediately rocked in season 3 episode 14 which is of the mist into like further narrative of like we're coming after Dooku and reveal I, I, there's absolutely no long term plan here it happens so fucking fast oh on our very futuristic space age technology can fly through galaxies at light speed bad projectors we think that guy is this other guy Darth Maul and I just wanted to be like I also would have thought that but then they're like no it's this other guy Darth Savage. I know he's not a Darth, but you know, party on Darth. I think it was odd and unnecessary for Obi and Annie to be the Jedi investigating Dooku's apprentice. With all the episodes they have been missing from, they might as well have been using this to give Ahsoka an adventure with someone, because Obi doesn't seem very personally connected, even though they think Darth Maul could in some way be associated with what's going on. Like, maybe if that had been part of it, it would need to be them, but... Otherwise, it could really just be any Jedi. That, and there's this moment where Anakin yells at someone, and, like, you can see he's starting to get darker. It's coming. I actually feel like I'd noticed there was a change in Anakin's clothing. There was, like, a darker vibe to these episodes. There was a a shift in what everything looked like, and what it looked like was a scarier situation. Mmm, there was a slight character update at the beginning of the episodes we were covering here with Season 3, Episode 10, where characters, like... Chuchi and Ahsoka were even aged up a little bit to show that time is passing. I would ultimately love to see Talzin versus Palpatine. That would have been a cool fight. Um, we know she'd lose ultimately, you know, because Palpatine doesn't die there. I I was really sad to see the Toydarian King die, but man did I love Savage versus Dooku versus Ventress. Yeah, I was sad about that too. It's interesting that these two arcs back to back have deaths of major characters who were introduced to the Clone Wars series. I love all of the haha turns out Savage is secretly working for me haha well no haha well haha and then you know Savage gets all confused and is like mommy daddy stop force fighting but then the ending is amazing and Savage is like I'm the Ventress now and they're like yeah you're the Ventress now but you gotta find a specific guy you don't get to pick your guy oh no no you gotta go find your brother I have no brother no you do his name is Darth well and two things one I love that because because as far as I'm aware, I'm pretty sure Darth Maul is just like crazy in a garbage pile somewhere and she's making it sound all like destiny and your brother is out there and like he's living on garbage. Um, I also thought something that was weird. Why do they keep calling Savage a monster? Like Dooku calls him Ventress's monster and like the episode where he's found is called monster and like is he any more of a monster than any other? non-human human-ish warrior we have seen in this franchise so 
far? I don't think so, but people are extra mean to this guy in particular, calling him a monster. I also, um, halfway through this episode in particular, turned to Nico and said, this episode is called Witches of the Mist. Where are they? Spooky witches! Spooky witches! Like, sure, there were mist witches throughout this three-part arc, but this episode in particular being titled Witches of the Mist. Like, why? And if there's an answer, we're not going to find it out anytime soon, because now we're back to a semi-linear construct to this season. The next arc of episodes that we will be discussing has nothing to do with the Mist Witches at all. Until we return to talk about nothing to do with the Mist Witches at all, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram at, and Twitter at Kevoreely, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and you can find me on the Facebook page for this awesome program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Real Nico Kevo Action. Nico, where can the folks find you? As always, you guys can find me Mondays and Thursdays here on Access for Podcast and Tuesdays here on HTML. Don't forget to check us out over on WeAreKrakoa.com where you can find out all the latest interesting news about the X-Men. And don't forget to look me up on Instagram over at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-I-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, remember to stay alert, stay aware, and keep pushing forward. We are making political headway and we need to keep. It's a lot of fun to talk about these fictional things, but don't forget there's a real world out there that needs us too. Absolutely. And until we return, keep this Kyber Crystals lit. May the Force be with you and also with your Force Ghost. Pew!